0: In Finland, reindeer are not just for Christmas. Reindeer are big business in Finland. They have reindeer farms where you, as can, you can imagine, they grow reindeer, uh, they breed reindeer, uh, but they've had a problem in the past, in several years, past several years, uh, farmers became frustrated because their reindeer kept getting out and getting hit by cars. Uh, And one year alone, they lost 4,000 reindeer uh, getting run over by cars. And so they decided a few years back to try something a little bit revolutionary. Uh, And I brought a picture. They took reindeers, reindeer rather, and painted this glowing reflective paint, much like you see on the roads, uh, it reflects lights. And so that hopefully cars coming down the road would see these reindeer and they're glowing antlers and miss them. Um, and you have to admit, if you were driving down the road and you saw that reindeer with antlers glowing, it would get your attention, right? I mean, you would wonder what it was, but it would still get your attention. Uh, I think, actually, the reindeer just scraped the paint off their antlers, so I don't think it worked out too well, but it was a good try, right? I mean, it's, it, it, it would get your attention. And that was the whole point, is that they're, they're reflecting that light, would get the attention of everybody else around them, all of those people on the road. Well, comparing our lives as believers to the glowing antlers, that's what we're supposed to be in the world around us. Uh, We have no light in us on our own, but Jesus, as the light of the world, gives us the ability to reflect his light, to the world around us. And that's what he calls us to do, to reflect his light so that everybody will see it. And part of living in this world with the armor of God is having the belt of truth on and then reflecting the righteousness, the light of the world, the light of Christ to the world around us. And the number one way that we reflect, that we let our antlers grow, is by the way that, uh, glow rather, is by the way that we live. Uh, We we live as Jesus would live, and in doing so, we let his light shine. Philippians 2.15 tells us that we're to shine among the darkness, and Jesus himself said, let your light shine so that men will see your good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. We let our antlers glow and reflect the light of Christ so that other people can see it, If you make a decision, though, warning, if you make a decision to do this, if you're going to let your antlers glow, um, like these antlers or these reindeer, you're going to be in danger of getting run over, okay? Because Satan is going to try to run over you. He's going to try to destroy you. Again, he can't have your soul because you belong to Christ if you are a follower of Christ but he can attempt to draw you away from Christ. He can attempt to disrupt your relationship with Christ. He's going to attack you. And that's why we are in need to know how to use the armor of God because we're in this war. We're in this spiritual war where Satan is trying to attack followers of Christ and try to disrupt our lives so that we will be ineffective as we attempt to live for him and serve him for, from day to day. And that's why we're in this series, Called battle gear where we're learning to live strong in the midst of life struggles because life is a struggle it's a struggle to live for the Lord every day it's a struggle to do what God's called us to do and we have learned that in order to live strong the one of the first steps we need to take is that Christ followers as Christ followers we need to learn to view the world the way that God and his word see the world We have to not look at the world in our own ability with our own opinions and interpretations. We have to learn to see the world the way God sees the world, the way his word defines uh, our world, Uh, the belt of truth, knowing right and wrong, knowing that there is an absolute standard of truth that we live by. That affects every area of our lives. And it's in this passage in Ephesians 6 that Paul tells us how to begin doing that, how to begin looking at the world the way that Christ and his words see the world. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. We've read it the past couple of weeks. We're going to read it again. And so if you'll follow along with me, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength, Put on the full armor of God so so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. Again, he's going to attack you. He is going to try to run over you. And in order to stand strong, we have to be strengthened by the Lord and put on his armor. Not the armor of man, his armor. Verse 12, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. You're, the war's not against your neighbor, it's not against your spouse, it's not against your children, it's not against your coworker. not even against your own fleshly desires, your own frailties, imperfections. It is ultimately against Satan and all of his followers in the spiritual realm. This is why, verse 13, you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything, take your stand. We stand firm, not in our own strength, but in the armor of God. We stand firm in the armor that he provides. The war is real, the enemy is real, but Jesus is victory. Remember two things in this spiritual war that we're in. and The first thing is that you're not being called to join the war. You're already in the war if you are a follower of Christ. This isn't a message challenging you to battle, to gear up, to join the war. You're in the war. Uh, The other thing, though, we're in the war. That's a scary thought. The other thing, though, is that we know that we're not trying to fight for victory. We're not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory. This war is real, the enemy is real, but Jesus is victory. He's already accomplished the victory through his empty tomb. His death, his resurrection gives us the victory. But even though we're fighting from victory, the war still rages and it is still very real. And there are battles that we fight every day. We have eternal victory, but we can live as if we were defeated if we don't put on the armor of God. The way to live in victory every day, day in and day out, is by wearing the armor of God the way that God designed for us to wear it. Remember, Paul is under house arrest. We've talked about him being chained to the Roman soldier 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He had a lot of time to stare at that armor. He knew what each piece was, what it was used for. And all he is doing here is simply taking each piece of the armor and using it to explain spiritual warfare to us. How God gives us armor. He's got a battle plan, a strategic plan. It's very practical, a way for us to fight every day in spiritual war using the armor that he gives us. And Paul is using this armor of the Roman soldier to explain to us how to do that. And so understanding what each piece represents and the significance will help us know how to do that. Last week, we talked about the belt of truth. This morning, we're talking about the breastplate of righteousness. We're going to talk about the meaning of the breastplate of righteousness and then how to use it. In order to live strong in the midst of life struggles. Number one, righteousness. We need to understand that righteousness is a gift of God that comes from faith. The belt of truth, we talked about that. After the belt of truth comes the, the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 14, Paul says, Put on, in the New King James, put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate was tightly worn. You can think about a bulletproof vest or a flak jacket or something like that worn by a police officer or a soldier. It was very tightly worn. When we think of breastplate, we think of that metal form-fitting breastplate that you would see in a pageant, an Easter pageant. And those did exist, but there were several different types of breastplates that Roman soldiers wore. One was called a coat of mail that was basically chain link that he would wear. Another one uh, was cloth that the soldier would, would sew, like metal, hooks, hooves, animal hooves, anything he could find to provide some protection, he would sew those things on. Probably the most common was a, a vest that was leather that had metal studs all over it. You've probably seen something like that in the movies. That was probably the most common. But the, the breastplate was very important because it protected the trunk. And the most important thing in the center of you is your heart. And so the breastplate for the Roman soldier protected his heart. And the reason this is important is because Every Roman soldier knew that if you wanted a quick kill, you went for the heart. Because if you stabbed someone in the heart, they were gone. And so the Roman soldier knew that in order to protect himself, he had to have a good breastplate that was going to protect his heart. And so that's why it was so very vital. Paul is saying, To put on the breastplate of righteousness to protect your heart. But why righteousness? What is righteousness? Well, let's look at that. Righteousness is simply rightness. And it involves two things. It involves, first, my eternal position. It means being righteous means that I'm right with God. When we're in sin, we're at odds with the Lord. We're enemies of God, but through salvation, through Jesus' death, His resurrection, my receiving salvation, I, I achieve a right standing before God. I'm right with God. If I die today, I'm in heaven, I'm in eternity. But there's a second part to righteousness, and that is the earthly practice. It is living right for God. So when you think about it, there are two sides to this, right? To righteousness. There's the being side being right with God, having right standing with God, and then there's the doing side. First, I want to focus on the being side. Both of these are important because you cannot be right with God or you can't do right live right for God until you are right with God you have to be right with God first and and truth comes before righteousness because you can't be righteous you can't have righteousness apart from the truth so you see the order here and you see why both are important let's look first at the being side truth is the standard righteousness shows us how to work that out but we have to, to, to be righteous, be right with God. So how do we become righteous if we're all sinful, which we all are sinful? God said, his word says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are righteous in and of ourselves. So how do we become righteous? Well, God sent Jesus to die on the cross, to take on the sins of man, to pay for our sins, because we couldn't. And through his death on the cross, he's a sacrifice for our sins. But through his resurrection, he achieves victory. And in doing that, you don't just receive forgiveness of sins through Jesus' death and and resurrection. You do, we do, and that's great because we need that. We can't get to heaven without that. But that's not all we receive. What we're told in God's word is that we also receive the righteousness of Christ. It is imputed to us, and that word imputed is a Greek banking term. It's basically the equivalent of someone crediting money into your account for you. And spiritually, our accounts were bankrupt. We had nothing, no righteousness at all. But through his death and resurrection, Jesus God deposits Jesus' righteousness into our account so that when God now looks at you, he looks at me, he doesn't see all of our sin, he sees the blood of Jesus. He sees someone who is perfectly met the standard of righteousness not because of anything that we've done but because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's his righteousness lived through us. Again those antlers were glowing. We're reflecting the light of Christ. It's not our righteousness. It is his righteousness and so through Jesus imputing his righteousness he makes us right with God. Look at 2 Corinthians 5 21. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin. Jesus became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So again, now that that Jesus now when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ, and so we are right with God. That is how we become right with God. We achieve the being side. We are eternally right with God. We have a right standing with him. And comparing righteousness to a bank account, here's just another little side note. When someone credits that money to your account, it's yours. It's not mine. If I give it to you, it is now yours. And no one can take that away from you. Satan cannot take your righteousness away from you once Jesus gives it to you. Nobody can. It's yours. It is the righteousness of Christ, but he has deposited that into your account, and it is yours, and you will stay righteous. No one can change your right standing before God, your positional righteousness. But here's the thing, even though Satan cannot change your positional righteousness, he can affect your relational righteousness how you live for God on a daily basis. Remember, there are two sides to this. There's the being side, but then there's also the doing side and Satan will attack the doing side. And that's why we need to understand number two, righteousness is a practice of faith that requires pure living. There is the being, the, the, the right standing before God, but then there's the living, the pure living, right living before God. Two sides. This is, as we're talking about now, is the doing side. We focused on the being side, let's focus on the doing side. It's important to focus on it because the righteousness of Christ that produces right living for Christ is the guardian of our hearts. That's how our hearts are protected. We're saved, but as we live in righteousness Pure living each day, that's how we put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's how we protect our hearts. If we are followers of Christ, right living really does matter. Michael Moss, a New York Times reporter, wrote a book called Salt, Sugar, and Fat, How the Food Giants Hooked Us. It's all about like fast food and unhealthy food and how these CEOs of these companies are more concerned with money than they are people. And what he found almost without fail As he investigated these CEOs of these companies, of all these fast food chains, what he found almost without fail is that all of these CEOs, they promote their food, but they don't even eat it themselves. What does that tell you? About, that'll make you think twice about where you're going for lunch today, right? But he said that bothers us, and it should, because here you are putting your name on something, you're promoting it to me, trying to convince me to eat it, but you don't even practice it yourself. How much more? A million times more. We come to church on Sunday, we promote the name of Jesus, we identify as a follower of Christ, but then we go into the world and we don't live it. We don't practice it in our schools, at work, at home, in our neighborhoods. How we live really does matter. It doesn't save us, but if we... Proclaim the name of Christ, if we promote Christ and then we go and we live with a foot in another kingdom, then what does that say about what we really believe? Living won't get you to heaven, but it sure does matter in terms of living for Christ day to day. This is the doing side of righteousness, it matters how we live. Salvation brings a new standard of living called righteousness. This means relying on God's power as we live by God's standards as found in His Word. Salvation brings a brand new standard of living, one that you could not achieve before Christ imputed His righteousness to you, saved you, set you free from sin. None of us are without sin, and sin manifests itself in different ways. Even as, as followers of Christ, there are overt sins. There are sins that we commit outwardly with our actions. But then there are also covert sins, sins that we commit in our mind, our will, and our emotions. There are sins of commission, sins, things that we do that the Bible tells us not to do. And then there are sins of omission, sins that we, that we commit by not doing the things that God tells us to do. Sin manifests itself in a lot of different ways, but James 4, 17 tells us it is a sin for the person who knows what to do, uh, but doesn't do it. So there are different kinds, there are different ways that we sin, like truth. Truth not only involves, if you remember from last week, truth doesn't just involve the actions or the actual factual, the information, it involves the intention behind that, Right? It's it's what makes God's truth such an absolute perfect standard. It was his original perfect intent that made it such. It's not this distorted reality that's the effect of sin. And, And truth, it's not just facts and information, it's the intention. Well, righteousness, it's not just what I do and don't do, it's the motivation behind that why I do the things that are right and don't do the things that aren't right. It's, it's my motivation because God looks deep within our hearts and he sees our hearts and he knows our motivation. He judges why we're doing what we're doing. I mean, there, there, there are all sorts of, of reasons people do things that aren't right, aren't pure. I mean, some people do the right thing out of pride, which is a form of self-righteousness. Some people simply do what's right because of fear and fear alone, fear of consequences. And listen, we should know consequences and be afraid of consequences, but if that's your only motivator, eventually that's gonna fail. I mean, and some people don't care about consequences, but some people, it's only the fear of consequences that drive them, all sorts of people. There there are ways to do the right thing for the wrong reasons. It involves our motivation. Why are we doing what we're doing? A lot of us would be surprised to, to, if we learn to view sin the way that God does in 1 John three fifteen, God equates hatred with murder. You know, it's not just the act itself; it's the motivation behind the act. That's why all sin is sin because the motivation is rebellion against God, is doing things my way instead of His way, and and, and keeping what Satan does. You know, God wants us to view sin His way, but what Satan does is he wants us to keep us. He wants to keep us unaware of our sin. He wants us to be ignorant of the motivation, ignorant of the consequences, ignorant of the reality of our sin, because what he can do, what he does is if he can keep us unaware of our sin, then we won't see the need to confess sin because we won't be aware that it's there. And so as believers, he can't change your positional righteousness, but he can affect your relational righteousness, because what happens when there's unconfessed sin in our lives? Well, our relationship, our fellowship with God is broken. I mean, unconfessed sin is a breeding ground for more sin. But when we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because of your positional righteousness, if there is sin in your life, if you confess it, that restores your relational righteousness, your relationship with God, your fellowship with God. But if there's unconfessed sin, the relational righteousness will not be healthy. Satan accuses us each day as we stand before God. Revelation 12.10 tells us about that. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah have now come. Because the accuser of our brothers has been thrown out. The one who accuses them before our God night and day. Satan's, one of his favorite hobbies is to accuse you night and and day, to to bring your sins in front of your face every day, so that you will be reminded of just how bad you really are, and we all are, especially when compared to the perfect standard of God. But it, what God does is He provides through confession the ability to restore broken fellowship with God, to have right living. Because when we confess our sins, God forgives us of our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But Satan wants to keep you ignorant of that. And again, because unconfession leads to more sin, it's a breeding ground. I mean, it's like you can compare it to if you didn't have a trash can in your house or you never took out the trash, eventually you would have trash all over the floor, you'd have trash all over the counter, you'd have trash everywhere. And that is a breeding ground for little pesky things like roaches and all sorts of other critters, right? All sorts of other evil little critters to crawl around in your house. That's why you take the trash out, because you don't want stuff living in your house. Things like that. Well, in a spiritual sin, unconfessed sin trash in our lives is a breeding ground for demons to come in and just have a ball. And that's what happens. When we don't confess sin, that trash builds up in our lives. More sin comes in. Our fellowship with God is broken. Our guard is down. We're not protected. And all of a sudden, you've got all of this this nastiness in your life. And, And what a lot of people do instead of confessing is they settle for what you call trash management, or more specifically, soul management. They, they adjust things here. They move things over here. They try to, to, to fix things up a little bit here, and they're just moving stuff around. And it's kind of like when you, you get unexpected un, uh, guests at your house, and your house is a mess, and you stuff everything into the closet. I mean, it's all still there. You just can't see it. And that's what we try to do. We try to clean our lives up, and, and it looks good on the surface, but all that trash is still there. It's just shoved over in the corner in the closet. It's still there, and it's still a breeding ground for corruption and for more and more sin to creep in, which affects our relationship with God more and more. It is impossible to put on the breastplate of righteousness with unconfessed sin in your life, whether it's actual sin that you're committing or unconfessed sin that's just laying around. You cannot put the breastplate of righteousness on. It matters how we live. Culture just says fit in. Confession. You know, confess the Lord, but don't confess your sins. Just do whatever you want. Come to church on Sunday, live the way you want during the week. But what what happens there is that we're not putting on the breastplate of righteousness. We're not living for Christ. There's a man by the name of Ron Hutchcraft who toured Fort Sumter. And he said because of the fact that both northern and confederate troops controlled that fort at different times, the tour guide was wearing a blue Union jacket and gray confederate pants. And he said, he said, it struck me because if that guy would have worn that uniform in 1861, both sides would have been shooting at him. And it's true, right? But for the purpose of displaying that both sides had worn, had controlled that fort, he wore both uniforms. Well, in 2019, as we go about our daily lives, if we try to wear both uniforms, if we go to church on Sunday, but then don't live for Christ during the week, we're going to get shot at from all different sides. And we're not going to be able to defend ourselves because we won't have the armor of God. Our hearts won't be protected and our lives will be so filled with trash. We won't be able to see the Lord Jesus, much less live for him on a daily basis and lead other people to him. Our positional righteousness will be okay, but our relational, our living for Christ will be corrupted and will be separated in our fellowship with God. None of us are perfect, but we all need to be growing in our walk with Christ. And that's why we need to understand number three, righteousness is an attribute of the soul that grows along with sanctification. Satan wants to make you ignorant of your sin so that you won't confess it, so there'll be trash in your life. More sin will come in, but what God wants is you to maintain right fellowship with him so that Your relational righteousness, your your living for Christ, will get in line with your positional righteousness. You're saved once you accept Christ. Your positional, your, your eternal position is right with God, rightness. But physically, emotionally, you know, in our flesh, we are not perfect, until we get to heaven. When we're saved, it begins the process of sanctification where God begins to grow us, to mold us, and to shape us into the image of his son. That's sanctification. The breastplate of righteousness, as we talked about, is designed to protect the heart. Roman soldiers knew that if you didn't guard your heart, you were a dead man. Why? Because everything else in the body functions because of the heart right it pumps blood to the other areas of your body everything else works because of your heart if your heart stops you stop that's true from a physical standpoint and what we need to understand is that it's also true from a spiritual standpoint if your heart is not pumping life-changing truth to the rest of your body then you will stop spiritually you will not grow that process of sanctification will cease it will halt Why? Because that's God's design to impute righteousness not just to you, but to the rest of you as you live, to to change the way that you live. Proverbs 4.23 warns us, Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. The breastplate guarded the soldier's heart, the physical heart and the breastplate of righteousness guards our spiritual heart. So when we're talking about spiritual heart, what exactly are we talking about here? Well, it really involves two different things. The spiritual heart involves, it's talking about the real inner person, the real you, our mind, our emotion, our emotions, and our will, um, your soul, who you are, but also we need to understand that the real issues of life are spiritual and really matters of the heart. Remember, spiritual warfare, it's not a physical problem with physical solutions, not a political, not a social problem with, with political and social solutions. It is at its heart a spiritual problem because everything that's physical is either affected by the spiritual or is manifested from the spiritual. And so the heart issues, the spiritual heart, it's an inner problem that is at its core a spiritual problem. The problems that we have in our spiritual heart. And so we need to, to understand that in putting on the breastplate of righteousness, we're protecting who we really are. What God has restored through the process of salvation, it is in the process of restoring through the process of sanctification. Daily making us like his Son. Just like the heart is the physical pump that controls the flow of blood through the rest of your body, the spiritual heart, our core, our essence, it's the spiritual pump that God uses to infuse life to the rest of us. Once you trust Christ for salvation, you're made new with his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. The new things have come. When you're saved, the thing that was made new was your soul, your spirit. But all of you was not made new. That's why you need to be sanctified. But what Satan wants, you, wants to do is to convince you that all of you was made new when you were saved. The reason he wants to do that is to convince you to focus on your mind, your will, your emotions, and fixing the things that your body does yourself. That all you need to do is just correct this behavior and that behavior and you'll be okay. Because what he knows is that if we try to do that, we'll never do that on our own. Because those areas, your your mind, your will, your emotions, those areas need to be sanctified. And the only one person that can sanctify them is God himself. But Satan wants to convince you, no, he's already made you new. So if there's something wrong, it's something you need to fix. God's done all he's going to do. But no, that is not what God's word teaches. We need to be sanctified by the power of God. And that's why religion itself won't do, because listen, religion, just going through ritual or whatever, religion in and of itself tries to fix people from the outside in. It's if I do the right things, if I say the right things, if I follow the rules, then I'll be okay. But God says, no, you need to be fixed from the inside out. And only I can do that. He has to change us, transform us daily by the power of his spirit, his truth living in us. And that spiritual heart pumping truth, pumping life to the rest of our being. Just as our hearts pump blood to the different parts of our bodies. Authentic. Victory is only going to happen when we allow God's truth to enter our lives and to penetrate every area of our lives. And for that spiritual heart, that new heart that he's given us to pump that truth to every area of our lives, to our being, yes, but also our doing, our living, how we live, how we talk, how we treat others, how we make decisions, our emotions, everything. You are not perfect. That's why as believers, you can struggle with anger. You can still struggle with sin. You can struggle with all sorts of things. But God continues, if we allow Him, He continues to work on us daily until one day all of that will be right too. All of that. We will be completely righteous, not just our being but also our doing. Our lives are so distorted by sin. We have to have access to the perfect righteousness place within us in our new spirit we need to receive the truth of God's word again the belt of truth is first we need to receive the truth of God's word deep within us or we'll continue to live defeated lives day after day after day and if we try to just do trash management if we try to just follow the rules all we will be is tired and defeated Christians and that's why you see so many tired and defeated Christians, because they're just selling for trash management. They're just trying to live right, trying to focus on the external when what they need is to be sanctified. Our mind, our will, our emotions need to be brought under the, the authority of Christ. James one twenty one. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save you. As the Word of God feeds your spirit, it begins to influence your mind and your emotions. Those things, your will, those things, day by day begin to reflect the heart of God, the will of God. What we see on the outside begins to match what's already taken place on the inside. Your positional righteousness is now in line. Your your, your daily relational righteousness is now in line with your positional righteousness. It becomes more like each other. Every day as we become more like him, our desires will organically change to become like Christ. Galatians 5.16, Paul says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of your flesh. Feeding the righteousness that's planted in you. See, that's what it's like a seed that grows. God... Jesus imputes his righteousness. He credits that to your account. You're right standing before God. Your positional righteousness is good. But then you have to feed that righteousness by daily spending time in his word, spending time with the Lord, not just surface reading the word, taking it in, meditating on it, dwelling on it, camping out in it, rolling it around in your heart and your mind, making it a part of you. And as you do those things, you're feeding that seed of righteousness that grows to the rest of of the areas of your life. And then, again, your relational righteousness becomes more in line with your positional righteousness. Wearing the breastplate of righteousness, it's getting up every morning and saying, God, I cannot do this on my own. I cannot live for you in this crazy, corrupt world. I can't fight off the attacks of Satan. I can't determine what's right and wrong. I'm going to depend on you today. Go back to Ephesians 6, 14. Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. He says, put it on. And here's here's how you do that every day. You get up every morning, you pray. Holy Spirit, empower me to obey your word so that my life pleases you, points others to you, and so my heart is protected by your righteousness. Your righteousness. Bulletproof vest. I've got a friend in the Huntsville Police Department. He let me borrow one of his bulletproof vests. And bulletproof vests are interesting. Bulletproof vests, some of them, they're made of Kevlar, and some of them can stop a bullet but cannot stop a sharp knife. Did you know that? Some of, some of them can, but some of them can't. And there's a story a while back in the Denver Post, a, a guy by the name of Steve, can't remember his last name, but he was a young 26-year-old police officer. He'd just gotten his bulletproof vest. He went home and he wanted to show his family how strong it was. Tragic story. He told his uncle, he said, I want you to take this knife and I want you to stab me in the heart. Well, what he didn't know is that his vest was one of those that could not stop a knife. The knife went through the vest, stabbed him in the heart. He died in the hospital a few days later. Tragic story. See, what happens with some Kevlar is a bullet hits it and the energy is dispensed over a wide area. But a sharp point is too much for that Kevlar to absorb. And so it'll kill you. And I thought about that story. I read that story and I thought about how sad it is when armor fails. Whether it's a soldier, a police officer, sometimes armor fails. And how sad it is in our lives spiritually When our armor fails because we're not wearing the right armor. You've got to guard your heart. You've got to protect your heart. And if you put on man-made armor to try to protect your heart, then you're never going to make it. It's going to fail. Your heart will not be protected. And yeah, you'll be right with God from an eternal perspective, but your life will not reflect it. You will live a tired and defeated life, and you will never become what God wants you to become. It begins with the belt of truth. God is who he says he is. What he says is true. And salvation is only available through him. And his way of living as defined in his word is the only way to live. Not what everybody else says. Not what my emotions say. Not what my opinions say. Once I put on the belt of truth, I can discover the breastplate of righteousness. I can put it on. I can know how to live. I can live by the power of Christ. I can protect my heart. And once my heart is protected, then I'm well on my way to living in victory every single day. you got to have the belt of truth. you got to have the breastplate of righteousness. Your heart has to be protected. If not, you're in danger. So as we go, continue through our series on the, the armor of God. Come to Jesus first and foremost. If you've already done that, then, then what does your life say every single day? Are you putting on the breastplate of righteousness? Is your heart guarded? Is your heart protected? If not, what do you need to do? Confess sin, get right with God, change some things in your life, make sure your priorities are in line with God's truth, what He says is true. Are you being pulled in a million different directions? What do you need to do to make sure that your armor is on and secure and you're ready to fight the battle that God has called you to fight? Because... If you put on the breastplate of righteousness, your life will never, ever be the same. God will change it for His glory and His power, and there's no telling what God can do in and through you. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word and Your truth. It is on Your truth because of Your truth that the rest of our lives are built and fall into place. We accept Your truth. We accept You as the truth, and because of that, we now know what righteousness is. And we can put on the breastplate of righteousness. We can have a right standing with you and we can live right for you out in the world. But we know that salvation is the key to that. So I pray that that if someone here today has not accepted the salvation that's only available through your son Jesus, that they would, would accept that, that they would receive that today during this time of commitment. That they would come and allow me to share with them how to take that next step For those of us who are followers of you, Lord, are we putting on your armor daily? Are we living by your truth? Are we protecting our hearts with your your righteousness, by living right, by your power and strength? Lord, what do we need to do to make sure those, those areas are covered and protected? Lord, there may be other decisions you're leading us to make. I don't know how you're speaking to hearts here today, but I pray that we would listen to your voice and that we would respond with obedience. God, we thank you and we praise you and we ask that your will be done in this place. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand for a time of commitment?